This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. So I know you were watching during the first season oh, and yeah. you were a fan. So what did you most appreciate about the show as a fan? And then is that same, the same or different than what you found yourself appreciating as a director? Well, I watched it, you know, it's one of the few things that I ever binge watched, you know, I just kind of watched everything and and I thought it was a really brilliant pilot. And of course I loved um, the fact that there were so many women in one show, you know, it was amazing to me and that they were you know, the other thing about it for me, well, first of all, I loved that Piper was so ill-equipped for prison. It was just like the greatest thing to me, you know, like that all of her uh, sort of yuppified, you know, kind of hipster stuff, you know, was not going to fly in prison. But yet, it also became how she uh, coped. And, you know, even in this, you see that it's a coping skill, that she's using other skills to cope in prison. And um, so I loved that character. And then I loved that there were, the, that the, it's like the most diverse show in terms of women, in terms of race, class, age, you know, that you've got the... Uh, the group of older women in prison as well. And, um, and then you've got Crazy Eyes, you know, which represents something else altogether in a world of her own. You know, so, um, and just such brilliant, a really brilliant cast, really brilliant, you know, that did not, uh, did not for one second ever disappoint. And they have amazing chemistry. Oh, yeah. So so what's that like to come into something that's already established? And, I mean, I know you did that for Sex in the City, which um, brings up the similarities and the differences between that show and this one. For sure. But you're coming into something that has already been established. And just sort of this beautiful... Um, really delicious kind of chemistry that you're moving into. Well, it's funny because um, Sex and the City was the first TV show I ever directed. So, you know, I, they were like, oh, we, we really want you to direct this. And, you know, I met with the producers and they were like, you know, um, and we really love your movies. And, you know, and, I, and they really wanted that Allison Anders thing, you know, they kept saying in their show. But I quickly found out, I was just telling my students this this week, just today, I think, um, that uh, Pat Pat Fields, I just saw her on TV this morning, who did the clothes for Sex and the City, and and I had no clue that you don't make all those choices as a director. You know, it's, that's the, that's, tone is set before you ever arrive. I mean, all this stuff is rolling and moving, and it's on this train. And so you're not making the decisions. I was like, how am I going to give them that Allison Anders thing when all of those decisions I, I have already been made? I mean, it's already been cast, obviously. And then you, could, you, could, you cast the day players to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. You can give your input, but ultimately it's going to be 
as it should be, it's going to be the show's creators and, you know, people like that to, um, you know, that, that have a greater vision of where the show's going. So even with that, you can just make a strong plea for certain people, but, um, you know, it might not work for them. You know, they might have to consider maybe this character will come back four times, you know, after I'm long gone. So I learned pretty early on that you're not making those decisions. So um, so I, I came to a piece with it. I had to. And it was funny because Pat Field was very intimidating and... Um, she was uh, she was the co- the brilliant costume designer on Sex and the City, and she's now the costume designer on the show Younger, but um, by Darren Starr, who created Sex and the City. Um, but uh, she, you know, I went in to talk to her about the clothes that the girls were going to wear. I was very excited to like make that decision, and she just looked at me and she goes, "Yeah, she's wearing this," <laughs> and holds up a dress, and I was like. Okay. <laughs> I guess she is. So it was terrifying. But then I was like, okay, I get it. This is not my baby. So I'm not the mother of this baby. I'm like the foster mother. So I kind of nurture it along while it's here and then possibly impart a little bit of myself. And then I go and you go on to the next foster home, you know. So, uh, so that's always my attitude with it, you know. I, you know, I just kind of, and then, I, and then I was free to be able to learn, you know, and use that time to go. Oh my God, I'm working with these great actors, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm working with these great actresses, and you know, and and to come in when there's already a chemistry going with all these actors that I didn't have to establish that and. You know, and certainly on this, it was, since it was, the, and it was the same. On Sex and the City, I did the second season and the third season. So it was after things were already moving a certain direction, which was great. So I'm going to ask one more question, and then we'll open it up. But this episode is remarkably complex in the sense that there are those scenes, the intimate scenes between two or three people and yeah. then those larger scale scenes yeah, with like, the party everybody. And, yeah. yeah. So Yeah, the party was really intense. I mean it was a full day of shooting and um and it was it, it's so wonderful to see that it worked so well because I think at some point we were like, oh my God, now what are we doing now? And it's like, okay, now this is and it's kind of divided up really beautifully. It almost doesn't feel so specific as it was but um which is nice because it feels like the party's just continuing but it was like you know the black girls are dancing you know and so they had their own music and then it's like the latinas it's the latinas turn and they're like oh you know dancing and then it's it's you know the the um what do they call them I think they call them the meth chicks or something. You know, the white girls are all doing their uh, line dancing, you know. So, and, and then at some point, the, uh, the, um, the older women, I can't remember what they call them either, but the, that's something funny, Grey Gardens or something like that. But um, they had their, their moment, you know. So, um, so they all kind of, and it was also an unusual thing because, they had never done this kind of thing of uh, not direct address, but interview mm-hmm. style. Although uh, um, a couple of them did kind of do a direct address to camera, but 
Jinji, the creator of the show, sort of wanted it, wanted to make sure, she was nervous about this because it was breaking, breaking style a little bit. So, you know, she had talked to the writer Stephen Falk and I about just making sure that it was off camera just slightly, you know, so that it's like they're looking at Piper, you know, who's asking the questions. So that was unusual, too, that there was that going on. And also the complexity of the emotions that there are. Oh, boy, yeah. It was really intense. I mean, even the scene with Piper and her husband, you know, and, and that really resonated for me, you know, watching him say, you know, so, you know, the moon, you know, being compared to the moon and, you know, it was hurtful to him and, and, um, and then he hurts her back and, um, and, and the, the, you know, the, the scene that I, that really was the thing for me was the scene with, um, Taryn Manning and Mike Kern there at the end, you know, with them sitting on the bench. It was really, I couldn't wait to shoot that scene. And it it was just like, let's do this really simple and let's, you know, just just go for it. And it was just, uh, they were just amazing. And I love the way we see them from the front and then that you cut to the back. Yes, I was really hell-bent on having the, you know, the scene from from behind them and his it was nice just seeing his hand he couldn't quite put his arm around her you know it's just it was, they were so good yeah all righty so questions hi um i was wondering what made you enter the field of entertainment wow <laughs> <laughs> you know it it was a long process, I'll tell you. Um, I started uh, I started writing when I was very young, and um, and at some point I um, I decided I I wanted to go to film. I had a couple of kids, and and um, I decided I wanted to write, continue to write, but that I wanted to go to film school and. Um, and I was in junior college, and they gave me a stack of requirements to transfer to UCLA like this. And um, I, uh, I did all that, and I got into UCLA. But one thing that was kind of amazing was, um, you know, I thought, oh, I'll, I, I'd like to do, I'd like to be a screenwriter. And then I was like, oh, I don't know about that, because... I don't want a director to come along and just change what I've done, you know. And so, um, so then I thought, well, I'll see if I can, if I even like making movies, you know. And so I just remember making the first movie at UCLA and just, you know, we had to do it on Super 8 and then shoot it on Super 8 and then tr- do it on 16-millimeter sound. And I just remember transferring my sound at going all over the floor, because I didn't know how to work the machines, and I was just standing there crying, going, I hate this so much. But the minute the film was done, I just sat there, like, waiting for my film to screen. It was a very scary process at UCLA, and I was just like, I don't care what anybody thinks about this movie. I had so much fun. I love doing this. So from there, I just kind of, you know, it was, my timing was really good, I have to say, because, you know, as... As she mentioned, you know, the um, 
in when she was talking about uh, the 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 Sundance '92, I just had you know when I was in film school, I was like I would hear about all these film movements and you know new German cinema and French New Wave, and I was like I want to be in a movement. Why can't I be in a movement? <laughs> and then later I realized, oh, I was. I was in the American Independent Movement, so you know it was kind of amazing to just kind of. Uh, Realized that I was part of that. So, you know, it's now it's an interesting thing. You know, I kind of realized that in a weird way, I was part of a last generation of cinema that where we shot on film and we cut on film and we screened on film. And um, it's okay, but it is a it is a little sad for me to think sometimes that you know, that's, that's pretty much over as far as a generation goes. There probably won't... There might be some crazy movement that will happen of people that are just like, we're going to do that. We're going to, like, shoot on film and cut on film and, and screen on film. Um, but uh, for the most part, there won't be another generation like that. I don't think that, that makes films that way, the way that we did. And you've done film and episodic television and now streaming with Netflix. It's like the gamut. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Do Hi. you consider yourself a feminist? And if so, how is that received in the industry? Well, yes, I better be. <laughs> there are some feminists, we were just talking about this earlier, there are some feminists that don't consider me a feminist, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I earned it, you know. Um, you know, the industry, it's an interesting thing. I mean, Martha Lawson, you know, does her study every year. She sends it to me always, like, a couple of days before it's published. And it's about women in the, you know, in the industry. And it's um, it's always really bad news. You know, it's, it's um, you know, I... Th- I do feel like it's getting better. Um, it gets better in such small increments each year, but it's it's still kind of uh, it's it's remarkable how behind the industry is, and I don't really understand why. It just it makes no sense anymore, really. Um, but you know, the, I think it is better in terms of like say ten years ago. I remember. Martha Coolidge telling me, you know, one of my my foremothers, you know, saying, you know, Allison, they they don't. And this is a woman who did powerful work and and was really really it, as inside the industry as you could be. For a while, she was our DGA president, the only woman that's done that, by the way. And um, she just said they don't. They don't think we're in the business, you know. They don't see us as part of the business, you know. They, yeah, you'll make a movie and they'll like it and they'll get behind it, but but the business doesn't see us as part of it. So I think that that's still true to a certain extent. And uh, even when you've got in TV like Chandra Rhimes and you know really like you know people who are extremely powerful, um, I still think it's not there yet you know but uh but yes we need everybody to keep working and you know more women working and and there's a lot of support from 
you know, there's such, I mean, I wouldn't have a career if it hadn't been for support from men. So, you know, there's, there's plenty, plenty of that around, too. But even with um, Orange is the New Black, the first season was directed by... I don't think there were any women directors the first season, and then the second season there were a few, but there were still quite a few directed by men, which I found surprising when I was looking at that. Well, it's so incredible, you know, is that I've been on so many shows where I've been the first woman director. Like Southland, in a way I can understand. Now, Orange is the New Black is really odd that it didn't have that many women at first, but... um, but with, uh, with Southland, I was like the first woman director on that, you know. And so, um, so it, is, it is strange, you know, that, uh, that it's um, still a bit of a, of a thing, you know. And, and actually, for a while there, I was getting a, a lot of work because there seemed to be some kind of mandate or something where the DGA was really aggressive about this with TV because they were suddenly going, well, you know, we realized we didn't, you know, we had these binders of women, you know, I mean, it was just kind of, you know, where are the women, you know, and I was like, I don't care, just, yeah, I'll be your woman, just give me the job, (laughs) I'll take advantage of this problem you're having right now, (laughs) of not having any women directors, Um, but it was strange, Uh, well, there's a lot of difference now uh, between television and movies. You've, TV used to be uh, TV directors were TV directors, and True. that's what they did, and uh, that was a happy thing. And movie directors were movie directors. Now we're finding there's a lot more overlap. It's seeming to be a, a, a place to go and practice your craft. For sure. So how's that going? You know, it's great. And here's the thing. I don't know. First of all, I don't know how anyone who isn't, you know, one of the top movie directors and top paid movie directors. I don't know how people are making a living if they're not doing TV. Because what we used to do was before our last Writers Guild strike, you know, it was like that the studios used to hire people to write, you know, I mean, a lot. So a lot of us made a living between movies writing features that got made or didn't get made. It didn't matter. You know, you got paid for it, and, and that's how you kept going. Or you did commercials, you know, but a lot of us wrote. So when that fell out, um, and they s- developed less and less, and it, you know, the, it's almost like they took advantage of the strike, and then that became, okay, we're not doing that much anymore. And um, when all of that changed, then TV became really the only the only way to earn your earn, earn a living between movies. So um, the amazing thing for me is that this technology changes so quickly that if you're not doing TV, I don't know how you you know TV has all the latest stuff. You know, I mean. They've got stuff that I would never be able to work with half the time on a on a movie I was making. I wouldn't have the the resources for that. So um, so that's wonderful. Is that you know I get to I'm just constantly learning new stuff, working with new stuff. Of course, working with actors all the time is fantastic. But um, 
Yeah, so it's so I feel like it's a pretty good scene. I mean, I would love to make another movie. It's a little hard now to do that, to say the least. Really, really rough. Um, I, I, I mean, people just don't go either. I mean, you could do a Kickstarter. You know, I was just talking about this. You know, you could you can do Kickstarter now, and I've done that. And it's great. It was like a thing that I always had in my head of like, if this person, Kurt Voss had showed me that even on board a radio, I made a list. If all of these people gave us five bucks, you know, we'd go get the film out of the lab. And so Kickstarter is like this great resource to be able to do exactly that, to crowdfund your project. Now, the problem is, of course, is that you do that and then... The great thing is you don't owe anybody anything, you know, except for your your perks, you know, that you you've promised. Um, but then you uh, but then you got to get a distributor for people to see it. And the problem with distribution, even if you can make them on these cameras and edit in your laptop, who, who's gonna where are they gonna see your movie? You know, and and the distributors literally. For a lot of these small movies, super small movies, offer you absolutely nothing. I mean nothing. And people are signing those deals. I mean, I mean they offer you no money. They offer you no guarantees. They don't make DVDs half the time anymore either. So it's really odd. No theatrical screening. You ha- kind of have to hustle that yourself. But it's just so that they'll have the, they'll have a few avenues that you don't have. So ooh, it's not quite. You kind of wonder if it's really worth it. I mean, for a storyteller. I mean, if, for me, I kind of feel like well, um, I feel like I'm a storyteller. So if I'm telling someone else's story in episodic and giving something to that, that's great. If I'm writing and developing a TV show, then that's great. You know, that's, that's then I'm telling a story. With movies, I would love to do it. And I still, I'm still, of course, writing a couple of movies. But I just, I don't know, it's, it's harder to do them now. So much harder to do them now. Hi, Alison. Thank you so much for a wonderful show. Um, I'm intrigued by the idea of your coming along, uh, as you said, to direct an episode in something that's already all sort of set in motion and going along. And I'm wondering where... I don't don't know much about or, or at all about television production, so I'm wondering where the creativity, where the spots are for the creativity. Is it in working with the actors, as in you're directing that wonderful last moment? Is it in the editing? Is it in the lighting? What what were the... Can you see the Anderson touches in your own, as you look at your own episodes, in this or the L Word or... Well, it's funny, you know, I I remember when I did Sex in the City that some people were like, I knew that was your episode. And I was like, (laughs) come on, you didn't know that. And they were like, no, 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 I could just tell that was you. And I was like, well, I hope not too much. Because the idea is you don't want to leave too much of a thumbprint because it's some, you know, it's the show, you know, the show is, is uh, is the vision, you know, it's not me bringing my vision to it but 
um, there is a lot more freedom now for episodic directors than there used to be. And they want more, they want you to do, like I was watching, like, uh, there's a, a fair amount, not too much, like I really, you know, my generation of filmmakers, we were like, no over-the-shoulder shots. Yeah. That's like, that's like awful, you know, that's like, you know, really bad TV or something. And, um, and there wasn't too much, and there, was there was a bit in, Orange, in this episode, but not too much. And now they really, like, they get mandates. The showrunners get mandates from the, from the networks. No, you know, stay away from over the shoulder. You know, just find some new way to do it because they're, they're really nervous about it now. So, um, so it's funny because it, it, uh, a lot of the TV, um, like the DPs, are having to now go, oh, okay, it's like we're making a movie? Okay, after being beaten with this so hard um, by the networks of the past. So, um, so a lot of it comes in with working with the DP and working with, uh, you know, setting up the shots and, um, and also with, you know, just getting a kind of um, tone you know, which is also very mandated in TV. They have what they call a tone meeting, which I never knew what the hell that was. I was like, what does that even mean? But they have the tone meeting in TV in pre-production and where you're sitting with the writer and the showrunner and they're telling you, okay, in this scene, this is how this goes, you know, tone-wise. And this is the intent of the scene and this is you know so you pretty much know what's what they want but yet they want you to do other you know they want you to give something so it's nice now because there's actually more of that it's not even in procedurals you know it's they really want you to be uh, a little more involved you know and uh, more creative what was the most influential moment you've had while filming? Was there a moment when you just felt like, wow, this is the film industry, I'm in it, this is what it's like? You know what? That ha I swear to you, it never gets old. I'm never jaded about it. There's, there's one, I remember on Mi Vida Loca that we were on the tech scout and there were all these people like that we're gonna that we're working on the movie and there was one guy going would you like a light here in this hallway and I was like just thinking to myself this is crazy I just made this shit up <laughs> and now there's all these people working they've all got jobs they're all taking it really seriously and I was just like wow that never ceases to amaze me and also, I can never get, especially if you're working on a lot, and that's all, that will only be on TV. I'll never be making a movie on a studio lot. But when you're on one of those old, old lots, it's like you just can't. You can never just go, oh, ho-hum, you know. Because you just sit there on the stage and you go, oh, my God, I'm looking up at the... Betty Davis sat here and was looking up at the same stuff up there you know 
So it's pretty great. I mean, I have to say, like even this, you know, when I was watching the girls kissing, you know, it was just like I remember how they were so nervous and and we talked about it a lot beforehand and they and they are really good friends in life. So it was really, you know, it was like sweet to see that scene, you know, and just to know how much, uh, you know, how they really trusted me, you know, and trusted each other to to do that scene. And I thought it was so sweet, you know, and just uh, it made me really happy to see that again. So there's always things like that where you go, oh, that was fun. And I have to say, I think you got the most... Um of the most emotional or sweetly emotional Pensatucky scene in the history of the series, too. She's so good. That girl is crazy good. She is just like insanely good actress. And um, it really, uh, it really hurt me what she was doing. You know, it just broke my heart for her. Like her like feeling ostracized from those girls. And it was just like, Oh my God, you could be in prison and you could be ostracized like that. Like you could suddenly be on the outs. You know, even though it's really hilarious dialogue um, by Stephen Falk, who's such a great writer, who has his own show now, by the way, too. Um, You're the Worst. Has anybody seen that? It's so great. It's so great. Yeah, such a good show. And... uh, and it just, yeah, it just really killed me, like, you know, them, them treating her so badly. It doesn't, doesn't matter. It, that's the weird thing about the, watching this episode and just this, this, um, this series is that it doesn't matter what these people have done. And that's kind of the g- genius of Genji Cohen, you know, who created the show, is that it, you know, whether it's a guard or whether it's, you know, an inmate, it's like, it's, uh, you know, there's a humanity there, you know, there's a heart underneath all of that, and there's a, you know, there's a person who, uh, you know, who's struggling, Mm -hmm. and I thought that that was just amazing with all of these characters, every single one of them, really. And it just so beautifully... Um, balances humor and yes. more heartfelt, more yes. sometimes tragedy and um, just more challenging emotions. Yes, it's a, it's got a really interesting tone that way. And it's been tough with the Emmys. You know, they just now, the first year, I think it was regarded as a drama in the voting category. Then it was. Then it became comedy, that it was a comedy show, and so that was last year for the second season. Now, now they've moved it back to the for the third season, when people start voting. I'll be a dr- in the drama category again. People were really pissed about that, because if it's in the comedy, it has a better chance, you know. But in the drama, I mean, there's, there's so many dramas that you'd be competing against with this show. And it's, it's just a fine line, I think. You know, so it's, it's been weird for them to place it. I don't know how they decide on that. And I'm just hoping there's still a lot of that 
comedy in For sure. season three. Exactly. Um, I know, right? Yeah. It's part of the pleasure of it, I think, is yeah. that it's so unexpected. In yes. That way. Hi. I was Hi. just wondering, um, is there a difference in working on a Netflix series than in your experience with um, other television series you've directed? You know, there was none. That's a really good question. There was absolutely no difference for me. Um, now, I thought there was going to be a difference for me because I thought I wasn't going to get residuals, which is, of course, please, that's, Sex and the St- City still pays my bills, you know, all these years later. But, um, you know, I... And we talked about it, even on the set. Um, Mark Burley, who's one of the producers who directed that scene, the other sex scene, um, he says, yeah, I think there's not, I think that's it. I think that what you get paid is it. I don't think there is any residuals. But, um, but I noticed recently that um, I did get, um, you know, I was looking at all the stuff that had come in from DGA and, there was a really good residual check for that. So it must be that that the residuals are coming out of people buying the uh, buying the DVDs or buying somehow. The, I mean, for a long time they were saying they couldn't track the internet. You know, they couldn't track that, which is like, are you kidding me? I go look at something on, you know. <laughs> on eBay and it's like then I try to play Scrabble on Facebook and it's like do you still want this this is still available you know so are you kidding of course they know what what we're doing on the internet you know so I think it's going to be okay now I think that it's you know I mean we'll see what happens when everything negotiations come back up with DGA and and uh, WGA but it looks like residuals are happening from Netflix which is cool but yeah, there was nothing. I mean, I remember some Netflix people on set one day, and that was kind of the end of that. They were just like, oh, hi, we're from Netflix. And, you know, I was like, great, I knew you before you were a verb. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, yeah, it was, uh, but it was really kind of seamless in that regard, you know, in terms of production. And we did shoot in New York, which was similar to uh, working on Sex in the City. Um, there was some amazing stuff that I just want to point out, which is the, the, for the most part, that prison, that's a set. All that stuff are just these gorgeous, imperfect, ugly sets, but gorgeously that way, you know, because they're all, the production designer was just so great, and he was like, yeah, he says, I know, my wife and my my daughter are always like, nobody knows it's a set, it's so, because it was so good, you know, and so it was so frustrating for them that they were like, nobody realizes that he actually built these, you know, and, and constructed them, and, you know, that kitchen, the kitchen where the girls are making the cookies and and you know all of that stuff they do some stuff um like the exteriors and some a few things hallways and stuff are done at this um oh god the scary shutter island kind of uh abandoned mental hospital 
So it's like this amazing Rockland State mental institution. And I knew about it because the silent, uh, well, the Sigfield girl I was writing about had like died. I found out that she had died there. And so I was, you know, I knew a little bit about that place. But it's like massive, just like buildings and buildings and buildings just sitting there. And this particular building was more like a 70s building that they shot in, which was like a children's mental facility. So that's also abandoned. So they shoot there. And Gingy's like, oh, it's so depressing. I'm sorry, you know, that you've got to shoot in this because it's sad, you know, because it was kids. But it's, it's really intense. It's like a whole community of just these buildings standing there. All right, one more question. Is there a process that you or the actors go through in preparation of uh, shooting the more like intimate, controversial scenes? Oh, yeah. yeah. Yes. Um, you know, it's funny. It's uh, basically you want to... Um, you really kind of let the actor dis- make that... Uh, make it known what they're going to need, you know. So um, I like to rehearse these scenes because it's so nerve-wracking for the actors and so nerve-wracking for you as the director that I like to rehearse them. I treat it like an action scene. So I'm just like, okay, let's get the beats down of this scene. <laughs> you know, let's, you put your hand here and you put that hand here. You know, so I like to kind of, you know, know what we're going to do because I feel like that creates safety. You know, the more that we're kind of like not just leaving it loose, you know, it creates boundary and it creates safety that way. So, um, you know, they have their own conversations about what they're going to show and what they're not going to show. And that's that's a negotiation that they do. But then meanwhile, it's like, let's see what, what we want this to feel like, you know, what we want this scene to, to play like, and, um, and where we're going to shoot it, how we're going to shoot it, you know, and, and let the actors know exactly how that's going to be and what's going to be in the shot. So, um, yeah, it's, um, it's quite a process. And I think it's, uh, you know, the first time that I did a scene like that, it was, uh, it was really... I just really blocked it, you know, and, and, I, and I made a mistake because I talked to the actress and I didn't talk to the actor because I just thought, oh, he's a guy, let me talk to you about what you're going to do, you know, and then it was like, oh, God, that was terrible of me. I didn't even talk to the actor about the scene. I was talking only to the actress, but it worked out fine, and um, I just remember... Um, my compadre, Kurt Voss, saying to me, he says, oh, I had to shoot a sex scene today. I hate it. He says, you know, you're uncomfortable. The actors are uncomfortable. You feel like a pimp. I just hate it. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, he says, I'd rather blow up a car any day. You know, so I was like, oh, God, how do you not feel? I I took this really seriously. I was like, how do you not feel like a pimp? I don't want to feel like that. How do you not do it? And I was like, oh, well, you just you know, you just break down the beats, you know, you just direct it like an action scene. That's why he was comparing it to blowing up a car, you know, and it's like, you really just have to get those beats down. And then it's just, then it's easier for everybody. And, 
you know, you do that privately. So you have private conversations about it. You have private rehearsal if you're going to rehearse it, which I like to do because I like to know what's going to happen. And, um, and rehearse it with the DP. And, you know, of course, it's a closed set. Even for something I did recently, the girl had her clothes on. But, you know, it was a kiss and it was just, she was going to get up and just, you know, throw something over her. So she wasn't, she was under the covers. She wasn't showing anything on camera, really. But, uh, but even with that, I was like, let's close this out. And I think the, the social media girl was a little bummed out because she was all there ready to take pictures to post. And I was like, no, no. <laughs> a whole other dimension. Yes. This is a whole new thing. There's one on every crew. So any of you out there, this is a good place to, to start on set is social media. Everybody's got one now. Yeah. yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. All righty. Well, thank you uh, for being here. Thank you for great questions. Thank you to Allison Thank you, thank you so much. Oh. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.